Amen. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 17. 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse number 48. If you found it, say praise the Lord. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and David slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shaharim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. If you notice, the Philistines, when David hit Goliath with the stone and Goliath fell, the Philistines didn't run. The enemy didn't run until the Bible said that David took his sword and, sl and, and slew him and cut off his head. And then, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I want to preach for a little while this morning on the subject, finish your battle. Look at somebody and tell them you got to finish your battle. Look at somebody else and tell them, you got to finish your battle. Lord, I pray God anoint me to preach. Let there be a work of the Holy Ghost in this place. Oh God, there's been a powerful move of your spirit already. I pray confirm your word with signs following. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost move in this place. And God, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Give the Lord a great hand clap of praise and lift your voice with that hand clap and let's worship the Lord. you you can be seated the account of the battle between David and Goliath has been told for centuries the kingdom of Israel was in its infancy 
when the Philistine army and its giant champion, Goliath from Gath, came to destroy the fledgling nation. The armies met at a place called the Valley of Elah, in a place or a region known as Shoko. The details of this battle are quite clear in the book of 1 Samuel 17. David is the servant of Saul. Saul is the king of Israel. And the Bible is very clear that Saul is afraid to fight. Saul is afraid. David's brothers are afraid. All of Israel is afraid of this intimidating, imposing giant Goliath from Gath. Yet approaching the battlefield from the rear on his father's command is a young shepherd boy by the name of David. We know that David is later going to be called the sweet psalmist of Israel. We know that David will be called a king and a prophet and a warrior and a man after God's own heart. But at this point, in regard to the nation of Israel, he is nothing but an obscure shepherd. His name has not been brought to the forefront yet. He's simply there on a mission given by his father. David was sent to carry food to his brothers on the battlefield. As David approaches the battle from the rear, He sees that the armies are arrayed on each side of a valley. He hears the voice of the Philistine champion, Goliath, railing against the armies of the living God. The more he hears the booming voice of the giant, the angrier David becomes. By the time he gets to the battlefield, there is a white-hot rage burning in the heart and the spirit of David. The battle is taking place in a valley. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 and 1, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah. They are at this place, this region, this area of the country known as Shoko. The word here in the Hebrew, it means a fence or a hedge. The enemy attacked the fences. Of Judah, the hedges. The enemy has always sought to attack the fences of God's people. The enemy doesn't like barriers that are designed to keep him out. You see, the Philistines understood those fences were not there to keep Israel in, the fence was there to keep the Philistines out. 
And the enemy did not like that there were fences blocking his attack. And so the enemy understood if we're going to attack God's people and we're going to win the battle, then we have to take their fences down. If we can remove their fences, then we can defeat God's people. But as long as the fence remains intact, our victory against God's people is in question. May I tell you that the enemy is still attacking the fences of God's people. The devil doesn't like a church that raises a standard against him. The devil doesn't like fences that keep him out of our lives. He doesn't like boundaries that keep him in his place. The enemy doesn't like coming up against a fence in the life of God's people. Because when he comes against the fence, he knows that's as far as I can go. Unless I can bring that fence down, I can't really get to God's people. My brothers and sisters, in this modern day and age, we need to rethink how we view holiness in this generation. Amen. Anybody want a pastor to preach to you today? We got to review how we look at holiness in 2022. Too many modern so-called apostolics have looked at holiness as a way to keep people in. But holiness is not to keep you in. It's to keep the enemy out. When you set a line in your life, it tells the devil, that's as far as I can go. Hey, I've come to preach to you today. The enemy will always attack your fence first. If you set a standard in your life, that's precisely where the enemy is going to attack you. If you say, I'm going to be faithful to the house of God, then the devil's going to attack your faithfulness. If you say, I refuse to look like the world, act like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world, then that's exactly where the enemy is going to attack. The enemy wants to take down your fences. That's why we got to keep fighting to keep our lives within the confines of the Word of God. Amen. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't plan this message around stuff that's going on. I planned this message when in in praying and asking God for His will for this service. But this week I was dismayed when a when at a a camp meeting, a holiness camp meeting, a preacher preached a standard, and he preached. Why he felt the word of God had given him. And when he preached it, there was a lot of so-called Pentecostals that got angry about it. And man, they lit up social media. And, I, and in my mind, now look, I, some of them may be watching. And if you are watching, then I'm preaching to you right now. Because you should have been so ignorant this last week. But so-called preachers got on social media and began bashing somebody that preached their standard. My problem with that is you're putting all that on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that other mess and all the people in your friend list that have no idea about the Holy Ghost and about Jesus' name and one God are reading you argue with somebody. Don't be so dumb. 
Some things don't belong on social media. Most things don't belong on social media. You need to get a brain and understand that you're worse than that preacher ever thought about being. And I know it's nobody here, okay? It's no, I, if it's somebody from this church, I didn't see it. So I, I'm not preaching you. But my point is that when somebody sets a line, the enemy doesn't like it. Amen. And I've come to tell you that when you set a standard for your family, if you tell your children, we're going to be faithful to the house of God, the enemy's going to do everything he can to get you out of the house of God because he understands that fence is a barrier against his advance in your life. That's why the enemy hates holiness so much. That's why we've got to keep preaching holiness because holiness is a fence against the onslaught of the enemy. Praise God. Amen. I'm going to preach worship in a minute, but I'm going to be honest with you. If you can't shout to holiness, you probably don't deserve to shout to worship. We got to understand, we got to rethink the approach to holiness. It is not a matter of control. It's a matter of controlling the enemy. It's saying this is as far as you can go. This is the line and you can't come any further. Parents, you better set standards for your children. Do I got an amen out of anybody? I said, parents, you better set a standard for your children and say, this is where the line is. And young people, if your parents don't set it, you got to set a standard for yourself. You hold yourself to a high standard. You find where the line is and you live beyond the line. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Can we still worship the holiness preaching in Bethlehem? Or are we afraid of what the world thinks about us? Are we afraid about what modern religion says about us? Are we more concerned with what denominations think about us? Or are we concerned about setting a line and saying, this is where I live. This is my fence. The enemy always attacks the fence first. He camps at our fences and mocks us and belittles us. They were in the area of the fence, which is Shoko, the barrier between Israel and the Philistines. Specifically, they were near what is known as the Valley of Elah. Twice the Bible makes it clear that they were at the valley. Mountains in the Bible represent people's high points. It's when, metaphorically, we are the closest we can get to God. And I thank God for mountaintop experiences. Amen. I thank God for mountaintops. I've been watching our young people the last week and a half or so. They've been at camp meetings in Arkansas and Mississippi and all. And and, and before the summer's over, they're going to be in camp meetings all over the place. Amen. And and that's and that's fine if they can afford it. Go, man. Worship. Have. But when you come back here, don't leave your praise at camp meeting. And they hadn't, and I'm thankful for that. But mountains represent high points. But then the converse also is that the valley represents our low points. The, when, the times we feel the furthest from God. The prophet Isaiah spoke of the valley as a place of trouble and treading down and perplexity. Jeremiah spoke of the valley as a place of defilement and slaughter. Ezekiel referenced valleys as places of burial, dryness, and death. 
The most famous psalm in your Bible, Psalms 23, refers to the valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are places of warfare and challenge and struggle, the low points in life. There are several valleys that are spoke about, spoken of in the Bible that are significant, several of which have stark negative meanings attached to them. The valley of Sidom is the valley of sin. The valley of Eskol is the valley of death. The valley of Kidron is the valley of suffering. The valley of Achor is the valley of punishment. There was so much negativity surrounding the concept, the idea of valleys in, in relation to a spiritual condition. That in the Old Testament, the enemies of God, the Syrians, then in 1 Kings 20, they made a proclamation. The Syrians said that God is the God of the hills, but not the God of the valleys. In our text, the Bible clearly states that this conflict between the Philistines and Israel was a, way, a raid at the valley. It was in this valley. The understanding the negative connotations associated with valleys, it would seem to indicate that the author is foreshadowing a time of death and defeat and suffering for God's people. But the Bible said that when they came to this valley, to this place of the fences, the Bible was very clear to delineate who the valley belonged to. The Bible said that it belonged to Judah. The valley belonged to Judah. My brothers and sisters, the word Judah, if you've been in a Pentecostal church more than once, you've heard it said that the word Judah in Hebrew means praise. The valley belongs to the praisers. The people of the tribe of Judah were the people of praise. They were the ones who were given the task of leading the congregation in worship and praise. And the Bible was very clear that though they were at the valley, the valley didn't belong to the enemy and the valley didn't belong to the Philistines, but the valley belonged to the praisers. My brothers and sisters, may I tell you that your valley can indeed be a place of victory. If your valley belongs to Judah, it can be a place of triumph. If your valley belongs to Judah, it can be a place of victory. So can I tell you this morning that you will either turn your valley into a place of praise or you will turn it into a place of defeat all by how you approach the struggles that you face. If you're in a valley, the valley belongs to the praisers. Whoever worships will win the valley. Whoever praises will win the valley. Whoever is a praiser will take dominion in the valley. You can overcome your low points, but you got to do it with praise. You can overcome your enemy, but you got to do it with praise. You can overcome the trial, but you got to be a praiser if you're going to be an overcomer. My challenge to anyone that's in a valley, you ought to throw your hands up and begin to praise God because the valley is the dominion of the worshiper. We all have giants in our lives. I've been... I've been the tallest or near the tallest in almost every church that I've ever been in. 
And so growing up, every evangelist that came to town, when they preached about David and Goliath, I had to be Goliath. I've had my head chopped off probably 50 times in my life. When I was a teenager, if he read the story, if an evangelist or a guest minister read the story of David and Goliath, I got myself ready to be decapitated. The truth is we all have giants in our lives. Giants of sin that we fight. Giants of frustration, discouragement, depression, anxiety, carnality, confusion, false doctrine. We all have giants that want to overcome us. I'll tell you, the enemy doesn't want you to live a holy life. The enemy doesn't want you to be spiritually minded. The enemy doesn't want you walking in the spirit and having victory. And so the enemy sends a giant to try to destroy you. Whatever your giant is, you have to understand it's sent by the enemy. He fights against repentance. He fights against baptism in Jesus' name. He fights against the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He fights against holiness. He fights against worship. He fights against praise. The giant doesn't want you engaging in the spirit because the giant knows that if you engage in the spirit that his head is soon to be cut off. Amen. You got to understand when the giant comes against you that it's an opportunity for victory. It's a chance for you to walk out with your hand lifted up in victory. Your trial is a chance for you to have joy and deliverance. This is your moment of joy, but you got to make sure that the valley doesn't belong to weeping and mourning and whining and crying. I've seen people go through battles and just shut down. They never worship. They never praise. They sit there almost as if they can get attention from somebody. If somehow they'll just sit there and look sad enough that somebody will feel sorry for them. Let me come over here and try to preach it to this folk. There's people that I've seen, and when they're going through their trial, they just sit up. They used to shout, but now they're just kind of sitting there. And it's almost as if, if I get enough people to notice, if I get God to see that I'm not moving, maybe he'll feel sorry for me. But you can't approach your battle that way. you got to approach your battle with praise. The valley doesn't belong to the one that sits there. The valley belongs to Judah. If somebody's fighting a trouble, if somebody's fighting an enemy right now, you ought to just begin to wave your hand. You ought to stand to your feet and say, God, I'm in my battle. I'm fighting my giant, but it still belongs to praise. I've not, you cannot see. Brother, brother Tucker, brother Tim Tucker is on vacation. I wish he was here right now. Because he told me something a few years ago. He was, he's an attorney and he was dealing with a, with a property boundary case. And the, case that, the particular case that he was talking about, there was a fence that had been established. And that fence had been in that place for like, like 20 years. And then the owner of the property realized that the neighbor's fence was over the line. 
and that his property was actually several feet on the other side of the fence line. And so he couldn't get his neighbor to move the fence line, and so it became a court case. And when it became a court case, they found that there was a specific law that said that if you allow a fence to remain for a certain amount of time, then it is the same as ceding that piece of land to the neighbor. If you let the enemy hold the territory too long, then the territory becomes his. That's why, no matter what you're going through, you ought to find a praise right now. Because if you give it to the enemy, he'll claim it as his territory. You ought to just go ahead and push that fence line back and say, my praise is still mine. My worship is still mine. My shout is still mine. I refuse to cede my praise to an enemy. Just because I'm in a battle, I'm not giving up my praise. Well, pastor, but, but pastor, pastor, you, I'm, I'm, the devil's fighting me, bless his sweet name. I heard somebody do a testimony one time that said, the devil's been on my back all week, bless his holy name. But pastor, if, if I'm struggling, and if I'm battling, and if I've failed in certain areas of my life, then doesn't that make me a hypocrite? If I come into church and I worship and praise God, doesn't that make me a hypocrite? If, 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 if I know that I'm struggling, but I still worship, no, that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you the next candidate, candidate for deliverance is who that makes you. The Bible does not say, the Bible does not say let everything that's on the mountaintop praise the Lord. That's not what it says. It doesn't say let everyone that's got everything perfect praise the Lord. It doesn't say let everyone who's not struggling against anything or battling anything praise the Lord. The Bible just simply says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. As long as you're alive, no matter what you're going through, you've got a right and a responsibility to praise the Lord. Some of you need to push the devil's fence back before he owns it. Some of you need to push the devil's fence back before he owns your shout. You ought to open your mouth right now and say, devil, I'm going to shout just to let you know that it's not yours. Somebody ought to jump. Somebody ought to shout. Somebody ought to run. Somebody ought to dance and leap just to let the devil know I still have my praise. Maybe it's been a long time. You ought to just put yourself to practice right now. Oh, come on. I, I feel a break here right now for somebody. You need to press through. The, you're not a hypocrite when you praise him when you're struggling. You're smart because you understand that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Man, I, I, I want to go on. 
because I got a sword up here and every sermon's better with a sword. But the time friend told me, you preach anything you want, but if you got a sword, it's worth shouting to. I got a sword right over here and I want to get it out. But I feel something right here for just a minute because there's some folks here that you have so much self-condemnation because you hadn't been living like you know you're supposed to. You're dealing with so much condemnation because you know there's areas of your life that are not disciplined and discipled. And you come into the house of God and the presence of God is like a flashlight. And he begins to search your heart and the enemy whispers in your ear. See, you don't deserve to worship God because the devil knows that if you'll ever break out in worship, that you're that much closer to deliverance. And he knows if he can keep you from it, then he can hold on to you. But if you ever break out in worship, then you're going to break out of his hand. Because the valley belongs to the praisers. Your praise establishes dominion. I wish somebody... I'm, try, I'm trying just to get somebody just to say, I know it's uncomfortable. A few years ago, I bought a bicycle. When I started losing weight, I thought, man, I don't want to run. And so I bought a bicycle. I started riding my bike. I hadn't ridden a bike since I was like 11 years old or so. I got that, and, and because I'm a bigger person, I took, they said you got to get a bike that's built for you because if you don't, your legs will get tired. You'll get cramps. If you ride a bike too small for you, your legs will get cramps, and then you won't enjoy it. So you got to get a bigger bike. Man, they saw me coming hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> Reeled me in. I bought it. And I'm not sure they were wrong. I rode that bike, but when I first got on that bike, it had been years, Brother Sanford, since I'd rode a bike. Man, I, I got on that bike, and it was like, ooh, <laughs> wobbling. Trying to get the, you know, when you're a kid, you just jump on a bike and you go. When you're older and you get back on a bike after years, you get on it and you're like, you got to kind of get it going. And then, you, and then if you, then you can get it going. If you don't get it going quick, then it's like, whoo. It took me about five or 10 minutes to get the hang of riding the bike again. After five or 10 minutes, man, I was gone. Whoo. I quit riding bikes because dogs chase you out here when you ride bikes. <laughs> I'm trying to design some kind of like a, a mace thing to go on the back wheels so that I can press a button and whoo, pepper spray or bullets. Dogs chase, just carnage everywhere. It'd be awesome. Sorry. JC always gets on me when I talk about dogs. But once I started riding that bike, it was just a few minutes. All of a sudden, it was like I'd never quit riding. There's some of you that it's been so long since you really, really worshiped. This is not an insult. Don't take this like it as an insult because I certainly don't mean it that way. But it's just been so long since you just let yourself go free in the presence of God that when you first start, it's like when you get back on a bike at first. It's like... You, nobody's looking at you, but when you raise your hand, you feel like everybody is, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, 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 and you clap your hands and, 
and, and nobody, nobody's just like, what's he think he's doing clapping his hands? But you feel like everybody's thinking, what's he think he's doing? And because it's so uncomfortable. But it's just like riding a bike. If you just keep doing a little bit, before long, you're going to realize, man, I've been missing this more. Man, I found out I still like riding a bike. I'm not 11 years old anymore, but I still enjoy it. If it wasn't for dogs, I'd do it more often. Let me tell you about your worship. If it wasn't for the devil, you'd do it more often. you get, got to get your mind off the devil and just worship God. The valley belongs to the worshiper. you got to put your giant in its place. He has no right to tell you not to clap your hands. He has no right to tell you not to wave your hand. He has no right to tell you not to leap for joy. He has no right to tell you to be quiet. Let everything that has breath Praise the Lord. Oh, I wish somebody would shout right. I wish somebody hadn't done it in a long time. Would just open your mouth and say, praise the Lord. You can't play nice with the devil. You can't play nice with Goliath. Goliath isn't there to pamper you. Goliath is there to kill you. All right, I'm, I'm coming to I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stop because I'm having too much fun. So David runs out to the battlefield and Goliath, he looks at him and he says, I'm a man of war and you're sending a little boy out after me? You're sending a dog after me. And then he looks at David and he sees that David doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a spear. He doesn't have armor. He said, you're going to send somebody out to me with sticks? That's what Goliath said. I thought, Goliath, you're not even that smart. Because he doesn't have a stick in his hand. He runs out there. And Goliath is making fun of him and mocking him. And as he's running out there. David puts his hand in his pouch and he brings out, here's what, here's what Goliath said. He said, you send me this dog with sticks and David shouts back at him, you come at me with sword and shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord and David runs to meet him. David didn't run from him, he ran to him. Amen. And as David's running, he sticks his hand in his pouch and he pulls out a stone and he lets it go with that sling. And when he lets that rock out of the sling, that rock whistles through the air. And I was at a baseball game and this guy, this guy hit a foul ball. I, I was sitting on the front row on, the, on the, 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 the right field line. And I heard that ball. It came so close I could hear the whistling of it. And I heard it hit. And then it bounced out on the field. And I thought, it hit one of the chairs. I turned around, a little boy's face was bleeding. It hit that boy's face and bounced all the way out. But you could hear that as that, as that ball was going by. I wonder, because, you know, Goliath talks big and bad. But Goliath had a helper with him. Because out in front of him, a few feet, was an armor bearer. He's holding the shield for Goliath. I'm like, Goliath, you big, you big blowhard. You got a little boy running at you by himself, and you have to have somebody to help you. Let me tell you, 
The devil talks bad and he tries to intimidate you, but he wouldn't be out there if he thought if he if he had to do it by himself. But I wonder if that little armor bearer holding that shield when that rock whizzed by his head, shoo, 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 shoo. and then he heard it hit and wondered what, and then he turned around and he sees that rock embedded in the temple of Goliath, and all of a sudden that big old giant, and then the next thing you know, he's down. Most people at that point would have gone. I mean, David knows I killed this giant. I get to marry the king's daughter. And as soon as Goliath hits the ground, he's probably saying, he's ready. But David understands. I can't take a chance with this dude. I can't just hope that he's done. Because if I, if I don't finish him in a little while, that big old joker is getting up. And when that big old joker gets up, then I'm in trouble. And so I can't, while I got him down, I got to finish my battle. Can I say what happens to a lot of people when they come to the house of God, when they come to church? They get just enough victory to knock their giant down. And if you don't kill him when he's down, he's going to get back up. And that's why in six weeks you're battling the same thing again. In six months, you're still dealing with the same giant. Six years later, you're still dealing with the same thing because you knocked it down, but you didn't knock it out. David said, I didn't only knock him down, but now it's time to finish my battle. And that shepherd boy took that sword, and when he took that sword, he cut off the head of Goliath, and he held it up, and he was like, now we got some victory. And when he picked up that giant's head, all the Philistines said, my God, Goliath is dead. Let's get out of here. And they ran away. When you come against an enemy, it's not enough just to knock it down. you got to knock it out. Amen. Your stone, the Bible said, if these don't praise him, the stones will cry out. Your stone is often representative of your praise. And you got to knock him down with praise. But if you don't get your sword out, you'll never have sustained victory. And your sword is the word of God. That's why I love worship service. But we need preaching because we need the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Part of the problem is we like to shout to songs more than we like to shout to preaching. We like to clap to songs more than we like to clap to preaching. But it's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit that cuts the enemy's head off in your life. God sent this word to somebody today to tell you you can't have complete victory. You don't have to keep fighting the same thing over and over and over every day of your life. You don't have to fight the same demons every year over and over. You can get to a place where you have victory over those things, but you can't do it by ignoring the word of God. You got to build your life on the word. Hallelujah. Have you, have you noticed? I'm, I'm almost done, I think. I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure I am. Have you ever noticed that even when we shout for a long time on Sunday nights or Sunday mornings, that at some point I may not read a text, 
I may not have everybody sit down and say those, but, but before we go, at some point, I'm going to give something from the word. Because it's the power of the word that breaks the enemy's back in your life. It's thus saith the word of the Lord. When the enemy came at Jesus, Jesus said, it is written because he understood that there's something about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let me tell you what to do when the devil comes at you with temptation. You start quoting the Bible, the devil will tuck his tail and he will run. You start quoting the scripture when the enemy comes your way. When the enemy says, you don't deserve to praise God. No, no, my Bible said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Oh, the devil says, you can't make it. Nuh-uh. The word of God says, greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. Oh, you'll never be a winner. Yes, I will. Because God calls us always to triumph. You got to have the word in your life. Oh, lift your hands all over this place right now. Hallelujah. God, I'm going to build my life on the word. I'm not just going to knock the devil down every so often. I'm not just going to knock my Goliath down and then let him get up in six weeks when I battle the same thing. Can I tell some of you something? Can I, tell you, can I tell you with love that it's time to put away the things that the enemy has used against you? It's time to say, no more, I'm building my fence. And devil, you can attack the fence all you want, but I built my fence on the word of God. This valley belongs to Judah. This is my territory. You are an intruder and an interloper, and you don't belong in my life. You don't belong in my marriage. You don't belong in my home. You don't belong in my mind. You don't belong in my worship. You don't belong in my life. Somebody needs to set lines and say, devil, this is where the fence is, and it stops right here. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help someone. You need to cut the head off your enemy. You need to cut your head off the head off your enemy. God, I pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me all over this place. God, I pray, Lord, not for knockdown victory. Not for knocking down victory. But God, I'm praying for head-severing victory. I'm praying, God, that some people not cut the head off the thing that's been battling them over and over for year after year after year. That they set a line and say, this is my fence and this is my land and the battle belongs to Judah. The valley belongs to Judah. This is my place of victory. Who do the Philistines think they are to intrude into the land of God's people? I'm setting boundaries on my life right now. Thank God we got an evangelist tonight. He's going to get you shouting and just keep you shouting and then push you over the edge. And you're going to go crazy and it's going to be awesome. What I'm preaching right now is God help us to get final victory over some things. To cut the head off of it. Not just knock it down, but cut the head off of it. Not just to get a momentary reprieve from Goliath, but let's finish Goliath in my life.
You do it by establishing the word of God in your life and living according to this book. Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, for the word of God is quick. That word quick means alive. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the deciding, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, is, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's the word of God. I want to build my life on God's word. You can knock him down with praise, but you got to kill him with the word. Hallelujah. I wish somebody that's been, that's tired of Goliath getting up. I thought I had him down. And look, he's getting back up again. He can't get back up if he don't have a head. God, I'm tired of my giants getting back up when I knock them down. It's because you're only partway. You're only partway fighting the battle. You've got to bring the Word of God into the equation. That's why you need Bible class. That's why you need church on Sunday night. You need Bible class on Wednesday. You need Bible study, life group. Because getting that Word in your life is what it takes to establish yourself in victory. If you struggle with discouragement, you ought to look up Bible verses. Google is your friend. Google Bible verses about discouragement. And you ought to read, you ought to, you ought to read them over and over and over till they get in your spirit. If you battle with temptation, you ought to look up Bible verses about deliverance and you ought to write them down. I know you can print them out, but you remember it better if you write it down. I realize that's, that's a, that sounds like a 50-year-old, don't it? But it's a 50-year-old that got here by practicing what I'm preaching. Write it down and read it over and over until it gets in your spirit. Rejoice not over me, O my enemies, for when I fall, I shall arise. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. If you're struggling with worldliness, God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. Help me not to lift my soul up to vanity. Whatever you're struggling with, you need to build your life. You need to put the, put the Word of God in your life. Hands up all over this place. The altar's open. I know, I know many of you have come, but if there's still some that are struggling with things, Your struggle is not a mark against you. You got to understand the enemy wouldn't fight you if he didn't think you had potential. Your struggle is not a mark against you. It's an opportunity for growth and deliverance. I'm just going to give it a few more moments while they're getting ready to sing. I'm going to give a few more moments because there's some people in your pew that you want to step out. But for whatever reason, you're just a little intimidated to. Don't let that stop you. Just go ahead and come on down to the altar. Just go ahead and come on down and raise your hands and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for that head of my enemy to be cut off. I'm ready, God, to step into my peace and my joy. I'm ready to step into my deliverance. I'm tired of knocking the enemy down, and I'm ready. Come on, you ought to be praying. Somebody ought to be praying for somebody else right now.
If it's not you, then pray with somebody else. Go up to somebody. Just put your hand around them. Just put your hand around them and tell them, I'm praying for you. I don't need to know anything. It may not be around the altar. It can be anywhere. But it's time for some heads of the enemy to be cut off. Oh, my God.
we'll reach over and pray for somebody close to us. Ask the Lord to bless them. Pray that the Lord have his way in their life. Ask for the grace and the goodness of God. The presence of the Lord that makes rich and has no, added no sorrow with them. Oh God, bless my brother. Bless my brother, Lord Jesus. Bless his family. Bless his marriage. Bless his children. Bless him mind, body, and spirit. Lord, I pray your goodness, your mercy, your grace to touch my church family today. That's right. Pray the blessing of the Lord. There's something that's released when we pray one for another. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, let your blessings be on his life. Give him your grace, your strength, your help. God, if in any way he's struggling with anything, God, grant him the strength to be an overcomer. Let there be joy and peace in his home. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, God, bless my church family today. God, bless my church family today. That's right. Pray one for another. Lord, let your blessing touch my sister, my brother today. Lord, you know what their needs are. You know what their circumstances are. God, I pray that you meet them. You take care of them. In these trying days, oh God, I pray you give strength and help and hope. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray your blessing on my church family today. Oh, that's right. The presence of the Lord is moving here right now. Hallelujah. Just open your mouth and begin to worship Him. Let the Holy Ghost move through you. God, I praise you. God, I worship you. God, I glorify your name. I magnify your name. I worship you, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. God, I praise you, Lord. I praise you, God. I praise you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Amen. God's doing great things in people's lives. I'm excited to see what he's doing. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to be baptized today in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It'll be a, it'll be a doorway into a brand new future in Jesus. And if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, then today should be your day. Amen. We're getting ready to do a baby dedication in just a moment. While you're returning to your seats for just a minute this morning, Next Sunday morning is Father's Day, I understand. And there's a very special men's breakfast next Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, down in the, the dining room of, the, of this building. And uh, that's 8 o'clock next Sunday morning. Remember, the cleaning team will meet on my left here in front of the drum cage after service. So please remember that. And, uh, can anybody answer... Can any, could, do we have any Bible scholars that can answer me a question? The question is, what was it that made Dave mad enough to fight a giant? It's, not, it's a little bit of a trick question, but not really. What made David so angry? He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David got mad because Goliath was talking about God's people. Not because he was talking about God. God can defeat, can, def, can, can stand for himself. But he got mad because Goliath was talking about God's people. Do you know that when you run down a brother and sister, or you gossip about a brother and sister, that you become a Philistine in their life? I know I've done preaching. I'm not preaching right now. I'm just throwing that in there. If you see somebody struggling, be an encourager. Be a helper to them. Don't be a Philistine, but be an encourager to them. Amen. We're getting ready to dedicate Owen Alexander Gutierrez, born March the 7th. If you'll bring this baby up and any of your family that wants to come. Born March the 7th, 2022. Seven pounds and ten ounces. He's more than that now. He's double his weight. We almost had a dedication and a healing service at the same time. Amen. Don't we love this family? Amen. What a privilege to dedicate their third son in Jesus' name. These are good boys. Man, I love these boys. David talks to me. He talks till my ears fall off. And the little one, he hardly talks to me at all, but, but he's starting to. And then we got the third little boy coming right along. And uh, what, a, what a precious family, a faithful family. Is this five generations or four? It's a bunch. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the church. Isn't that awesome? 
Isn't it awesome? God can put something. If you're a brand new convert, God can put something in you that if the Lord doesn't come back years from now, we're dedicating your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, in verse number 6 and 7, it says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. When you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And so God's great command was that we should train our children in our faith. In obedience to this command, Brother Eduardo and Sister Brandy and this family have brought Owen Alexander Gutierrez to present him to the Lord today. Just as in the scripture, when Hannah brought Samuel to the house of the Lord and said, I prayed for this child and God hath granted me my petition. I remember when it looked like this baby might not get born and we prayed and God answered and look, we have this handsome, healthy little boy today. I looked at him and he did his lip like he's gonna cry. When I hold him, he, probably, he might cry, but I'm going to hold him anyway, and we're going to pray. For this child, I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he shall be the Lord's. Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the house of the Lord in Luke 2. And Timothy was brought, the Bible said, from a child. He was brought by his mother and grandmother. And so today this family has brought this child to present him to the Lord and to dedicate him to the Lord and to dedicate themselves to the Lord. They understand. They understand the gravity of being an apostolic parent in 2022. When we look at the world it's easy to feel hopeless, isn't it? Isn't it? You look at what's going on in the world, it's easy to feel hopeless. But the Bible gives us a promise. Proverbs 2, 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the Bible said he's able to keep that which we have committed unto him. And so, in reality, Brandy and Eduardo have come to pledge themselves and dedicate themselves as parents one more time. And so if it's your intention to present Owen Alexander to the Lord and to pledge yourselves to bring him up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, please answer we do to the following promises. Do you here on this day recognize that this child is a gift from God and give thanks for God's blessing? Do you dedicate this child to the Lord who gave him to you? Do you promise to give this child every possible benefit of home, school, and church and to protect and to provide for him? Do you ask God's blessing upon his life to guide, guard, and direct him through all of his years? Do you promise to always raise this child in the truth of God's holy word, putting the Lord first in all matters? 
And do you promise to live an example of faithfulness, holiness, and virtue before this child in such a way that your words and actions do not conflict? Amen. This is the moment of truth. You see how, how tenderly I'm walking down these steps. I don't need to fall right now. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Why don't you stretch your hand out towards this family? And why don't you help me pray? Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, I pray for baby Owen. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to let the Holy Ghost move on him. God, I plead your blood over his life. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, God, to help him to love the truth and to love the church and to love worship to love holiness, to love this gospel, to love working in the kingdom. Helping God to give his life in service to you. Lord, to fulfill his destiny and your plan and purpose for him. God, I pray for Brother Eduardo. And I pray, God, for Sister Brandy. And I pray for this family, oh God, that the anointing of the Holy Ghost would rest on their home. I pray, God, that the power of your spirit would overshadow their house with grace, with mercy, with hope, and with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to keep this boy in your word and in your way, to guard his mind, heart, soul, and body, to be his protector and his guide. God, help me to be the pastor I need to be to train him and teach him your word and your ways. Help us, God, to be the church that we need to be to nurture him and to help him grow in grace and knowledge of you. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus, let the anointing of your spirit be upon him in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give his family a great hand. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Be back tonight. Be free at 5, prayer at 6, church at 6.30. Brother James Wilson, it's going to be awesome. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.